there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On the last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Quentin and Roger went undercover in busting. This is pre-John Woo in every fucking way and form. Travel back to 1980s summer camp for Little Darlings. I had not realized how iconic Little Darlings was for girls who saw it at the right age. And visited the Swiss Alps in Julia. Even though it's this European sex romp, there was this feeling of impending moral dread. And now we bring you the after show, your backstage pass to exclusive content, answers to your burning questions, and even more film discussion. I'm your little darling, Gala Avery. On today's episode of The After Show, I'm going to be reaching into the video vault, our backlog of full film discussions between Quentin and Roger that have yet to make it on the air. Let's unlock the vault and see what we find. Out of the vault, I present a discussion on Gene Wilder's haunted honeymoon. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Orion Pictures presents Gene Wilder. Holy baloney, here we go again. Gilda Ratner. And Dom DeLuise in his most demanding role. One of you is a werewolf. You'd think this would frighten me. Haunted honeymoon. Rated PG. Starts Friday, July 25th at a theater near you. Check your newspaper for times. But... Before we get into the discussion on Haunted Honeymoon, we have part four of my interview with Roger. Missed part three? Make sure to go back to After Show episode 11 so you don't miss a thing. In this next segment, Roger and I discuss the creation of the POS system, how the management changing hands led to the inevitable demise of the store, and how Quentin and Roger managed to buy the Video Archives collection. So you and Quentin have talked about when Video Archives shut down that he bought up the VHS tapes. Yeah. And that you bought up the laser discs. Yeah. 
Well, what happened was um, uh, things kind of started going south. I mean, it probably went south even before we moved because the store wasn't doing as well as it could have. Maybe well, there was and a blockbuster across the street, wasn't there? A blockbuster there? had moved in. Things were getting tough for for the for a for private video rental businesses. It was getting more and more difficult because it wasn't just that blockbuster moved in, and it wasn't just that they were cheaper. It was that they were able to black market uh, video cassettes. They could buy a hundred. Uh, Star Wars or whatever the mm-hmm. Mission Impossible, whatever the Die new, Hard. Die Hard. That's always the example I use. They'd buy a hundred diehards and they might be paying, you know, fifteen bucks a piece to the studios for them, where we're at we're having to pay, you know, seventy-five dollars for them mm-hmm. or whatever that price was. Sixty nine ninety nine. Sixty-nine ninety-nine, as you can see frequently was the the price. Um we were we would have to, you know, pay a premium and we weren't able to get as many. And so we quickly realized as a private store, you just can't compete. There's mm-hmm. just no way to compete. They were smoking everybody out yeah. and we were watching them dropping a hat. And if it hadn't have been for the community who really was there, you know, for the store, because they, in the end, they wanted the store. The to, mom and pop shop. The mom and pop shop with the, the local kids who are working there who are movie nerds and who will, you know, who had for years at that point been guiding them and their families into what movie to watch that Friday yeah. night. So Quentin took the VHS tapes and you took the laser discs. Yeah. So what happened was um, when things started going south, um, Dennis Humbert, the silent partner, emerged. He revealed himself. This guy was a um, – and he's dead now, uh, so I feel fine saying was. <laughs> um, although his brother Rick may still be alive. And I really like Rick, but Rick kind of um, – Rick ended up moving to, to Holland and Dennis kind of took over his position at the store. Dennis was sort of like, I'm going to fix this place and clean it up. And he basically gave Lance the boot, made him a silent partner, and he took over. And that began kind of a reign of terror where you had this card company guy who was an alcoholic who would show up and, you know, uh, after his shift at the card clubs, wasted but with a bunch of like roast beef uh, steaks, you know, for the crew. And he'd come in and you didn't know how you were going to get him from day to day. Yeah, good or bad. Yeah, Good or bad. And so the spirit of the store started to die at that point because mm-hmm. he took over where Lance was a film fan. This guy was just, you know. He's just in it for the money. He's a manager at the card clubs. Yeah. And uh, and he was in it for the money, and he wanted that place to be to beat Blockbuster, and that was his thing. And so I started to move away. And this was around the time both Quentin and I were now, I don't know, making it in the business. We were finding our way in the business at this point, in the film business, the Hollywood film business. Mm-hmm. And um, and so though I was still close to archives, and though I would work there mostly to help, just you yeah. know, from time to time, uh, I had already kind of departed. Mm-hmm. Any kind of full time position, so that by the time uh, it then you know moved, yeah, uh, you guys weren't working there anymore. Yeah, and so then when the store closed out, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not exactly sure what happened, but Lance took whatever was important to him out of the collection. We've noticed that a few tapes are, uh, yeah, because you have this uh, this binder, this big binder that you coded and and put everything into, or so well. Because I had done because I had because I had done the um, the original uh, system um, at video outtakes. Yeah, the the POS system on an Atari eight hundred computer and uh, Corvus uh, hard drive. 
which was like a, mm -hmm. it's like as big as a, well, as big as an old VCR. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, uh, even though the POS system had been updated to a more modern computer by, by that time, you know, it was the same database and it just migrated. And eventually that data database of titles found its way into this book. This book is composed of all the tapes that were left over after Lance left. So after Lance left when Lance to create video archives. No, no, no. When Lance actually left finally, when video archives collapsed, okay. Lance took his tapes okay. or he took the tapes that were important to him, like the creme de la creme of his tapes. That's how, how I kind of picture it. Like he didn't take everything, obviously, because there's a massive, massive, the, most of the archives collection is still there. But some titles like Cocksucker Blues, the the Rolling Stones film, mm -hmm. like really difficult to find stuff. I, I, I tend to think he kept the, yeah. the things that he was precious about. But um, Dennis was then looking to sell, just to sell it all. And so he made up, he printed up this, uh, this basically a list of all of the tape titles yeah. that existed in the store. And he brought it to me and presented me with a price, which I simply couldn't afford at that yeah. time. And so I said, well... And at that time, um, and this is going to dovetail into one of your other oh, yeah. questions, I think. But at that time, I was kind of, you know, DVDs were in, laser discs were the thing. Mm -hmm. And so I was leaning heavily into laser discs. Yeah. And so I said, well, how about the laser disc collection? And so he gave me a price on that, and I bought the laser discs. Yeah. And uh, which was, I mean, I have, as you know, I have a massive, a very large laser disc massive. Collection like ridiculously large laser disc collection. Cause there was a time when I would go in, if they were, you know, if a video store was selling out all of their laser disc collection, I would just go to the owner and say how much for all of it. And even if I had doubles of stuff, I would just buy them. Yeah. And so I have, a, we have a ridiculous amount of laser discs. Um, it was probably the wrong thing to lean into. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I actually really enjoy watching a laser disc. The players are touchy. Yeah, the, but there's something the special. Look, laser rot. My favorite movie of all time, Bugsy Malone. My favorite viewing experience for that movie is watching it on the laser disc that you have, yeah, it's a good which does have laser rot. Yeah. On the second, on the B side. But you still have the during other side. the scene where <laughs> they're in the car together after their date and they're yeah. looking through the photos. But it's still the best viewing experience I could have of the movie. It's higher resolution than DVD. Wow. Not higher than Blu-ray, but higher resolution than a DVD. And yeah. um, and so anyhow, I I bought the Laserdiscs and just never knew what happened to the... And then I heard that Quentin bought the... Yeah. Uh, so Quentin bought the tapes and he kind of says, oh, I bought the tapes. But you do have some VHS collection of your own. Technically, together, we, we complete video archives, but... <laughs> The Laserdisc section was a very tiny slice yeah. of that pie, a very, very tiny slice because yeah. the catalog of titles is enough to fill, you know, Quentin, as as we've said many times, has migrated the entire store, shelves included, signage and other things mm -hmm. into rooms of his house. And so now he has like a... Which is actually where we record. We record in the video archives room, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Especially I mean, my mom saw a photo of the video archives room and she went, oh, it's like I'm back there. Yeah. Like she would remember the story and the shelves are the she same. She even said, oh my God, the shelves. Yeah. It's really, um, uh, it's spooky for me to. It's like the time machine. To be there again. And also because we're in that space, like I can't see that we're not in the store. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of a. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but I know you have a VHS collection of your own, if, even if it is. Small. I maintained a small collection of special things that were titles that were, you know, that I couldn't let go of. There was a time and I regret it. 
I especially regret it now because of how robust VHS tape is and um, like what a robust, robust and um, what a... It's a beautiful item to have on yourself. What a tactile, pleasant, um, fetishistic uh, uh, medium it is to, to have. And I really regret letting go of a lot of my, you know, um, this happened a number of years ago. Um, and mm-hmm. we, we had a move and we moved and I sold off a whole bunch of stuff. And I remember getting rid of tapes. I think I even threw away massive quantities. Like I, like I think about it now and my heart sinks, but it was mostly yeah. because yeah, we were downscaling. As well. <laughs> like, uh, but I know that you have some special tapes that you've kept. Yeah, I, I, I did a quick curation and I kept several, you know, tubs, I guess of, it's like, it's a joke when you walk into Quentin's, uh, well, not, not all of us have enough room to have an entire video store in our house. It's true. This is true. But, um, you know, I have some that are really important to me. Like I have a number of tapes that I bought directly from Russ Meyer, not him himself, but one of the lovely ladies who answered his phones back in the day uh, when you used to call him up to... Uh, one of the supers. Yeah, one of the supers, you know, who used to work for him. And uh, and so I bought a whole bunch of, like, I bought, I remember I bought two uh, copies of Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. Because, Some of them are actually even unopened. Yeah, I, I've not even like opened a number Like mint condition Russ mint, Meyer tapes. mint tapes. And so um, uh, I've got those. I've got a bunch of, you know, stuff that I've recorded. There were a couple of um, – Quentin and I watched them and the tape kind of got damaged over time uh, of um, – I actually had some stuff that I had recorded off of TV, a couple of things that Matthew Bright directed. Um, it's not like I'm a big Matthew Bright fan, but he did these two really weird biopics, one on the Brady Bunch and uh, one on different strokes. And they're weird. It was like he's got this – full-size actor playing uh, Gary Coleman on his knees. It's really weird. It's like a tiptoes. It's tip-toes. Matthew Bright directed tiptoes. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, yeah, I love tiptoes. Yeah. So it's just imagine tiptoes, but about, and actually you might not even know different strokes, but. Uh, no, but I, I'm a big, I'm a, self-admittedly, I'm a big tiptoes fan. Yeah. So this was like probably practice before tiptoes. Like yeah. To, proof of concept proof before of he concept made for tip-toes. tiptoes. Actually, if you haven't seen Freeway. I wish I'm planning on seeing soon, but I have not yet. You know what? Let's, we should put Freeway on the list. I don't know if Quentin's seen it, but yeah, um, just put tiptoes on the list. Share tiptoes with the world. <laughs> Freeway has one of the very, very best audio commentaries that I've ever heard in my life. Like any idea that falls like a gumball onto his tongue and rolls off. <laughs> Thankfully, Video Archives lives on here on the podcast. Thank you, Quentin and Roger, for bringing Video Archives to the listeners and allowing us to become modern day customers. Speaking of the store. Did you guys know that you can check out the virtual archives on our website, videoarchivespodcast.com? All of the VHS tapes shown there are the actual tapes that Quentin and Roger watch for the show. So go ahead and browse the shelves. Now, on to the discussion on Haunted Honeymoon, right after a word from our sponsors. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show. 
available wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Loyal listeners know that Quentin and Roger get together at Quentin's house, order a couple of pizzas, and marathon the movies on VHS. But what you might not know is that they usually watch more than three. It's really important for both Quentin and Roger to make sure that each episode is the best it can be. And when you're making VHS discoveries, you never know what you're going to get. Because of this, some movies we watch that are intended for the podcast don't make it on an episode. It could be because they fall apart in the second half, don't inspire the guys, or because they simply just don't fit in the episode's final lineup. The latter was the case for Haunted Honeymoon, as it didn't find its place among the other titles it was meant to pair with. But have no fear, fans of Haunted Honeymoon, because the conversation has found its home here on The After Show. Quentin and Roger invited me to jump right into a casual conversation about it after recording one night. We start off as we always do, with Quentin reading the back of the box. So, are there any movies that you guys have watched recently that haven't made it on the podcast yet? Well, there's a few. One of the ones that actually jumped out that we watched actually this week that we got a kick out of was Gene Wilder's Haunted Honeymoon. You know, I actually see that you kind of have that box right there. Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, We have the the Thorn EMI box back when they were calling it Canon HBO or HBO (laughs) Canon video. Yeah, I was kind of confused about that when I saw the box. Does that have... Like that is that Canon video? Canon, I think Canon it, films. I think they it, probably I, had an output deal. I think they had an out. They had an output HBO deal, and, they, they, and they, that included getting to add their name to the, uh, to you know uh, their brand. So I think it's like the entire company of Thorn EMI. Even the even the theme is the same. They just don't have Thorn EMI. Yeah. I guess EMI is not involved with it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let me just read the back of the Haunted Honeymoon box. In 1939, the heyday of radio, Larry Abbott. Gene Wilder, and Vicki Pearl, Gilda Radner, who star in a spine-tingling series of terror tales, are getting married. There's only one flaw in their happiness. Larry suffers from phobias, sudden outbreaks of irrational fear that threaten to ruin his career. Vicki insists it's just wedding jitters. The wedding is set to take place in the Abbott family mansion, where great Aunt Kate, Dom DeLuise, lives amongst howling storms, flickering candles, secret passages, and deranged servants. Kate suspects that somebody in the family is a werewolf. She's not sure which one. Since Larry, whom she raised from childhood, seems to be the least likely, she's leaving her fortune to him. But he has to live to collect. And one of the money-grabbing relatives is trying to scare the life of Larry for keeps. I don't know if that's the best description of... Uh, when are these VHS boxes ever the best yeah, description? Yeah, I know, though? exactly. Um, well, it's strangely detailed without kind of getting at the heart of the story in a strange way. I actually didn't... I hadn't realized the intricacies of Kate's situation <laughs> until I read the back of the box. <laughs> Director Gene Wilder's nostalgia for radio plays adds an additional layer to this movie. Listen in as Quentin and Roger discuss the art form and reminisce on their memories from childhood. Look, the thing that is very charming about Haunted Honeymoon, you know, nowadays, it's any movie made in the 80s of this time, you know, is going to be considered an old film. All right. I don't really think of them that way, but that's the way a lot of people would think of them. But this is an old film made by an even older soul. And everything he's coming from is just coming from a man of Gene Wilder's 
time and his, his place of comedy, his place of what he thinks is funny and what he remembers and his nostalgia for those things that he remembers. So on one hand, the film is him throwing his hat in a, a, a haunted house spook show kind of a comedy vehicle. Like, you know, like the, the George Marshall haunted house comedies mm-hmm. that he made very popular, like uh, Bob Hope's Ghost Breakers, uh, uh, Scared Stiff mm-hmm. with Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. That, that's George Marshall as well. But then also like uh, uh, Hold That Ghost with Abbott Costello. I mean, the, all the the great comedy guys, they have their spook show. They have their, st- The Ghost of Mr. Chicken mm-hmm. with Don Knotts. Yeah, to name a steve title. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> So that's them, you know, being trapped in a haunted house or being trapped with werewolves and vampires and ghosts and them having to deal with it. So that's that's a that's a a particular subgenre inside of the not only just the comedy genre, but in the comedy star vehicle genre. And he's coming from the old school place of this. He's not coming from a Ghostbusters place. I mean, a case can be made that Ghostbusters was coming from that place mm-hmm. and, and mined it for a new generation. He's purposely not doing that. He's doing the version that Bob Hope could have done. He's doing the version that Danny Kaye could have. I mean, he's especially doing the version that Danny Kaye could have done. He's very Danny Kaye-ish in this whole yeah. movie. Um, but then there also is the other added benefit the true one of the true charms of the movie as much as i like the whole haunted house comedy thing is the fact that they're radio stars and the fact that it starts doing uh you know the uh the mystery theater haunted honeymoon uh, uh, that is such an amazingly good sequence they do it so well but the part about it that i find nostalgic in a way that we're never going to see again is Gene Wilder was just old enough where uh, uh, that form of radio play crossed over into his lexicon, but probably when he was a little boy. Probably when those are probably childhood memories of him listening to shows like that and being fascinated by how the actors pulled them together and stuff. And so he does this really loving tribute that's at the beginning of the movie and it's towards the end, and it's a loving tribute to it. But it's still kind of offhand. It's something that he just wanted to do, something he thought would be charming and add to the film. And it does add vermicitude to the film. But it's not the whole show. If anyone was going to do a thing like that now, that would be the whole show. It would be the reason that they're doing it. And the fact that it's just kind of this tossed off little thing that's done as exquisitely as it can possibly be. Like, it just shows shows an older man from an older time doing things that interested him, especially as a young boy. Yeah. And that kind of charming nevete is all throughout the entire film. When I was a boy, I, I used to, before I would go to bed, I would listen to on KNX News Radio in Los Angeles uh, E.G. Marshall did mm-hmm. Radio Mystery Theater. Mm-hmm. And I used to listen to it every night before I went to bed. And it was radio plays, like yeah, mystery yeah. radio plays, yeah. like the Haunted Honeymoon radio play in Haunted Honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And and so I like grew up loving all that, you know, I'm going downstairs. Yeah. Let's open the door now. 
<laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And like all those effects. And when they when they were cutting that, like Gene Wilder so lovingly and frankly so classically yeah. shot that opening. It's it's so classically. No, no but well, that's what and, so you know, like he turns to like there, there's the big operatta set piece at the end of uh Sherlock Holmes Motorola. At first it was delicious, the, 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 the chicken is so delicious. Now we drink, now we like let's hope we don't get sick. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it's not, he doesn't do an entire operetta. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, he plays it for real, the way it would really be done, and that's the charm of it. That's the comedy of it. Haunted Honeymoon doesn't play like a typical haunted house mystery movie. Up next, Quentin, Roger, and I discuss several niche genres that Haunted Honeymoon could fit into and the movies within them. So... Roger knows that I love the haunted mansion genre. Of yeah, and, and specifically like, spe- the haunted mansion. Specifically, haunted mansion two thousand three. It's one of my absolute favorite all time movies. The Eddie Murphy movie. The Eddie yeah. Murphy movie. Mm-hmm. I won't get into my whole analysis of like the historical, in my opinion, black exploitation Disney movie <laughs> aspect of it. But I love haunted mansion <laughs> movies like Mad Monster Party is technically yeah. a haunted yes, yeah. monster, uh-huh, yeah. which is one of my favorite childhood movies, which is going to be playing at the New Beverly, which I'm going to be going to the Kitty Show. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's very similar to like murder mystery movies, kind of like Clue and Murder by Death, obviously, yeah. but like without the murder aspect. But this one kind of has a little bit of that murder aspect, even though it's not a mystery. Well, I mean, well, part of the thing is they set up the idea in the film. You could, there's the haunted honeymoon. That's the story that they're doing. But they're, oh, guess what? They're also getting married now, and they're going to go off and take a break. And then a doctor shows up, played by Paul Smith, Bluto from Popeye. He's amazing in this. Yes. Well, he's amazing at the beginning. Then he well, gets at the beginning, winky. but the yeah, fact yeah. that we hear his voice, I had never really heard Paul Smith. I mean, he's playing a Turkish guard yeah, 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 in yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Midnight Express, and he's playing Bluto uh, in Popeye's. Uh, so he's not really talking a yeah, lot. Yeah, he's in a lot of European stuff. And then suddenly like he a, speaks in this, and he has this kind of erudite, you know, educated voice. Uh, yeah. uh, that of a doctor, or maybe a radio play uh, doctor. Uh, <laughs> and, and also, when he first comes in, how they have that shot of like when you're looking into his yes. brain into his forehead. The the idea is, well, his career could be derailed because he uh, the Gene Wilder's character is just too nervous about things, and so what I think we need to do is we need to scare him out of his wits, absolutely out of his wits, and that'll get rid of it for good. And he's going up to his family's mansion where he'll be a, a, alone with just his family members for the weekend uh, before he gets married, and I think that's the perfect time to do it. And we're gonna we're gonna scare him to literally death, and that's gonna save him. So. That's all set up. That's the setup for the story that's going to happen. So now, as opposed to a lot of these movies where it's like, oh, you see the werewolf walking around and you see the vampire walking around and, or the ghost walking around. And then, you know, then it turns out later that it's not really a ghost. It's some master, some Scooby-Doo master plan and people are wearing masks. So in Haunted Honeymoon, you know that's the case going in. But now you're waiting for, to find out that there really is a werewolf. Now you're waiting to find out there really is a ghost. Now you're waiting to find out there really is a, a Frankenstein creature. <laughs> Like most tapes that Quentin and Roger put on, this movie has both its shining moments and its faults. Listen in as we discuss our opinions on the film, the standout moments within, and the issues that arise. To be honest, though, I didn't really like this movie all that much. But there are two parts of it that I really enjoyed, and one of them is the dance scene in the middle. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 Ball in the Jack. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I found it was, like, fun. It was light. 
uh, it brought like some playfulness to the movie, the like energy that it needed to be pumped up right in that moment. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you guys liked the dance sequence. No, I liked it. I, I like uh, the thing about it that that I liked is it's kind of a non sequitur. It kind of comes out of nowhere. But Gilda Radner and and Dom DeLuise are having such a good time. Yeah. Doing it. It's and, infectious. Yeah. And, and uh, look, they're just having such a good time doing it. And the movie just commits to it 100% that it actually, I, I, I think it earns its place, even though it's just a non sequitur just yeah. jammed in. Actually, my favorite part of the movie is Dom DeLuise in drag. Yeah, yeah. I think he's so funny. I learned that Dom DeLuise got the Razzie in 1987 for this role, but not for worst supporting actor, but for worst supporting actress. Ah, uh, see, that's a Razzie thing. I think, yeah, well, I don't trust and those guys. I, yeah, I, don't, that exa- I, don't well, think, I definitely don't trust those guys. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that that was deserved because I think that Dom DeLuise is actually one of the shining bright stars in this movie. I think he's, look, I think he's terrific in the film. Hilarious. Uh, uh, think, brave uh, and, 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 and And frankly, to tell you the truth, <laughs> I was afraid, and I even said, okay, I liked his first appearance as the ant, but then I was afraid he was going to take over the movie mm-hmm. because that does, that tends to have, especially in the eighties, that yeah. tends to happen in his films and usually not to a good effect when he takes over. Uh, that ended up not being the case. He's playing a female matriarch character, but he d- doesn't play her over the top. He doesn't use her to, to dominate scenes. She actually fits into the fabric of the scenes really well. Oddly enough, you take the story more seriously when she recounts it than you do any other time in, in the film. Because she actually says it with, there is a, there's a sense of gravitas about the way he's playing it. Yeah. So he's not playing it as a, just a joke. Yeah. There's a sub- gra- gravitas to that character. I think this, the movie gets windy in the whole second half. I, I, it, it has the same problem. It's a similar problem to uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother. In both cases, Gene Wilder has an idea, but he doesn't really come up with a story to sell the idea. There, there, the fact that there's not a genuine mystery to be solved, per se, in Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother is a problem. Mm-hmm. It just kind of doesn't go anywhere because there's no story. And this doesn't really have a story. It has a situation and the situation's good enough, but then the story part of it gets windy as it goes on. Paul Smith starts off terrific as the doctor, but then he gets wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. And when he got wishy-washy, then the whole story yeah. got wishy-washy. I mean, to such a degree that I was like, I was even having a hard time t- yesterday when we were talking about the movie to remember what happened. And then I thought, maybe I should watch it again just to remember what happens in the second half. And then it all came back to me. And I, oh, and I remember the brutal fight where it seems like Gene Wilder is getting his face punched off. Yeah. All right, not punched out. It's getting punched off with like the largest sound effects. Sound effects that would be out of place in Ricochet. All right, <laughs> are like now... Like, Jonathan Price bashing his face in. Um, he is I, so sleazy in this movie. Yeah, Jonathan I don't Price. care for Jonathan Price in this film. All <laughs> yeah, right. He's uh, so sleazy. Uh, he's definitely sleazy. Uh, but I didn't care for his performance. But having said all that, I don't want to reveal the surprise at the end. Because it su- is a surprise. <laughs> but the surprise at the end makes the whole movie. Yeah. It just makes it. It made all my problems go away. Yeah. Li- literally every single problem I had with the film up to then went away and I was just kind of had a happy smile on my face once the true reason for being is revealed. For me, I can watch Gene Wilder struggling to construct a sentence and I will laugh. (laughs) (laughs) 
My problem with this movie is that the walk this way joke Mm -hmm. kind of uh, starts wearing on me Uh after a while. But whenever I'm given Gene Wilder and mm-hmm. and and his pals mm-hmm. and frankly and Gilda Radner and uh, Dom DeLuise, mm-hmm. I, I'm okay. I'm on <laughs> solid ground. But it feels like whenever I'm away from them, it just deviates. It's look truthfully. I know they were in love, and I know she's charming, and she is charming in this. But I truly miss what Madeline Kahn would have brought to. Yeah. The world. Anytime I see Gene Wilder, I think of Madeline Kahn. All right, as as his partner mm-hmm. in. What would a Video Archives episode be without a film review? You know that one of our favorite critics, Franklin Browner, had something to say about Haunted Honeymoon. I, I have a Franklin Browner uh, oh, okay. review, if uh, an old one, if you'd like me to. Yes, uh, I, oh, would. I would love to hear his so thoughts. This one is from the Winnipeg City Press, and this is two months before <laughs> he famously quit. Okay. Gene Wilder does double duty in 1986's 1940s stylistic throwback Haunted Honeymoon as both its director and Funny Man star. Along for the retro yarn are pal Dom DeLuise and wife Gilda Radner. Radner and Wilder play stars of a yesteryear radio play of the film's eponymous title, and the radio play scenes are by far the most energized of the film, a tour de force of directing by the dexterous Wilder, who shows great reverence to his more obscure cinematic sources, clearly learned from his mentor in this department, the great nostalgist Mel Brooks. While the results may not be young Frankenstein or even high anxiety, it still fills the heart with both cinematic nostalgia and matinee laughter. I give this film a B for boo. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> that was a good break. That was uh, you're Franklin. Franklin's <laughs> killing cute. it, man. There yeah. it is. There it is. Franklin speaks. Well, <laughs> he's got a lot to say. Yeah, he, uh, he just won't shut up. Sometimes. A B for boo. <laughs> a B for boo. <laughs> it should a B minus for boo minus. <laughs> <laughs> boo. <laughs> In the poltergeisty sense, okay, yeah. not in the Rotten Tomatoes. Sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For anyone interested in watching the Haunted Honeymoon, you can get yourself a VHS rip of it on the Internet Archive. It's kind of hard to find streaming otherwise than that, but. Internet Archive always comes in clutch for me. I picked up an HBO Canon videotape just like the one that Quentin has for $12. And I will say one thing without ruining the surprise ending. But in the surprise ending, considering that Dom DeLuise gives the whole performance in drag, you see him not in drag in one shot of the film, one shot of the film. And it's the most dapper and handsome I've ever seen <laughs> Don DeLuise in any movie ever. It's like the way I wish Don DeLuise like walked around in life. All right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he looks like, like, look at, check him out, yeah. man. It's like Pavarotti. <laughs> a B for Boo. And that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Video Archives After Show. Have a burning question that you want the answers to? Make sure to write in for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming after show. Before I sign off and give you your clues for next week's main episode, here are two fun facts about our episode on busting, little darlings, and Julia. One, last episode is the only episode in our season that was not recorded in the archives. We recorded this episode in the Earwolf Studios. Our producer, Josh, who sits in with our sound engineer, Devin, was sadly not with us for this episode. Two, 
When we recorded this episode, there were actually four movies up for discussion. At the last minute, Quentin and Roger decided which one would fill the third spot and decided upon Julia. But that must leave you wondering, what could the discussion have been about? The answer to that, Laszlo Benedict's 1971 The Night Visitor, which Roger ended up discussing on the Pure Cinema podcast as one of his best discoveries of 2022. Next week, join Quentin and Roger as they discuss three new VHS titles. Want to know ahead of time what we'll be watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. The first film is a spaghetti western that's title sounds as if Cher's husband and the father of the Beverly Hillbillies were its title characters. The second is an Italian mob movie, which features an actor from our very first episode. And the third film is our very first documentary that we'll be covering on the podcast. It was hinted in a previous episode, which featured a guest customer. I've got a bus to make. I'm Officer Gala Avery signing out. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 